Return in our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 18, and I will be reading the first seven verses. Joshua 18. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? Give out from among you three men of each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall rise and go through the land and describe it according to the inheritance of them, and they shall come again to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall abide in their coasts on the south, and the house of Joseph shall abide in their coasts on the north. You shall therefore describe the land into seven parts, and bring the description hither to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. For the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben, and half-tribe of Manasseh, have received their inheritance beyond Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. This is God's word. Amen. I draw attention to your, to your text in verse 3, and Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord, God of your fathers, have given you? This morning I want to speak about spiritual slothfulness. This is a subject based on Joshua's exhortation to the seven tribes of Israel who were complacent in claiming the promised land. How does this relate to us today? I will endeavor to explain this to us all. Now the conquest of the land of Canaan is the main subject of the book of Joshua. Joshua's name, as many of you know, means God is salvation. Greek equivalent to the Hebrew name Joshua is Jesus. And this alone should tell us what the book of Joshua is all about. There were others in Israel who carried this name. He was not the only one. It was Joshua the high priest and others. But the Lord Jesus bore this same name. The scripture tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Now here in history, up to this point, in Israel's conquest of the land of Canaan, only five tribes had claimed their inheritance. Caleb had inherited the lot of Judah. Joseph settled on the north. Two and a half tribes 
had already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Verse 5 says, They shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall abide in their coasts on the south, and the house of Joseph shall abide in their coasts on the north. God is very specific. But the other seven tribes seem content with relaxation. Verse 5 tells us they shall divide it into seven parts, but they seem content. Back in Joshua chapter 13, you may recall that Joshua was old and well stricken in years. But judging from the tone of Joshua here in our key text in verse 3, Joshua was still intolerant with slothfulness and ease. He said in verse 3 to the remaining seven tribes, How long are ye slack to possess the land which the Lord your God have given you? And there is always part of the whole that will be given to spiritual slothfulness. And at times it is a greater percentage. In Israel's case, Israel's case, it was 70%. There were some things that bred Israel's slothfulness and complacency at Shiloh. No fewer than three times in previous chapters, there's a pattern of Israel's slothfulness with the heathen element. And if you go back to chapter 15, verse 63, you read, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. Over in Joshua 16, verses 9 and 10, we read, And the separate cities of the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages. And they drove not out the Canaanites that dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. Why drive them out when you can make some money off of them? This was the philosophy. <laughs> Joshua 17, verses 12 and 13. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in the land. And it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxed and strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, taxes, but did not utterly drive them out. This is a pattern of complacency. Three times, they could not drive them out. Two, they drove not out the Canaanites. Three, they did not utterly drive them out. What it is saying is Israel did not drive out the heathen nations as God commanded in the book of Numbers, chapter 33, verses 51 through 53. Let me read it to you. Numbers 33, 
verses 51 through 53. When you are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places and ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein for I have given you the land to possess it. Very straightforward. You know, today many in the church are not thorough in repentance. There's an air of pleasure with cherished indwelling sin, sacred cows that many treasure in their life. Or rather, sooner or later, they will make us spiritually impotent. When one gets accustomed to those little foxes, they will spoil the vine, for our vine has tender grapes. The wise preacher said, things that you and I will not drive out, root out, will promote spiritual ease. And brethren, I say this because when the church continues to tolerate Lateness, casual attendance, half-truths that are, that are told, and such things, these things will become the norm for the church. And Joshua brought this exhort. I'm just giving you some practical applications to the historical setting. What use it is for me just to read history to you. It's no use. There are practical exhortations to us. How long are you so slack to possess the land which the Lord, God of your fathers, have given you? We thank God for Joshua. Now in the general information of this chapter, I will make three key observations. Follow me. After making these observations, I will make some specific relative applications. I will make the sense of the text. Consider with me first observation. Notice where Israel settled. Verse 1. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. Apparently, there was a brief cessation of war. Shiloh was the first place Israel settled for organized worship. It was the place where God's name was made known. You remember in Jeremiah 7 verse 12, and we read, But go you now to the, to, to unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at first. And see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people, Israel. God gave a reference back to Shiloh in the book of Jeremiah 7. It was the first official place of sacrifice, intercession, and worship in the pre-monarchy 
period of the history of God's covenant people. Pre-monarchy means the days before the kings. Um, don't want to get too complicated. Israel was not to worship as the people of the land worship. Neither should they set up shrines wherever they wanted. God promised that he would ordain a place for Israel to worship. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, he says, You shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and there shall you come. That place was Shiloh. Shiloh was in the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Joshua. It was in the middle of the land of Israel to symbolize God's presence in the midst of his people. Jesus said this, wherever two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst of them. It was a place of worship until the days of the apostate priest Eli who failed to discipline his sons. God removed the ark and marked a big sign, the glory of God has departed. But here in Joshua, Shiloh became a place of ease and comfort. I believe you are beginning to understand where I am going. The land was subdued, but it was not conquered. Our text in verse 2 says, There remain among the children of Israel seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. Can you imagine this? It always seems that for some, advancement in the things that matter spiritually in the church of Christ always take a backseat. As far back as Joshua, God's servant had to contend with spiritual slowfulness. Verse 3, our key text. How long are ye slack to go to possess the land which the Lord, God of your fathers, have given you? I believe Joshua coined these words from his mentor, Moses. You remember back in Deuteronomy 2, verses 2 and 3, what God said. He said, the word of God said, and the Lord spake unto me, Moses, saying, You have come past this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. People of God was circling around Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea, 38 years. Read your history. Our human nature is always prone to comfort and to ease. Joshua 18 has a message for us today. The same message. Today the Lord has not given us any real estate, and you and I know this, to conquer. Salvation is offered freely. 
But salvation is not cheap. You and I have a responsibility. We're told in the book of Colossians, therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you live in them. Apostle Paul said to the brethren at the church of Thessalonica that each one of us must know how to possess their own vessel in sanctification and honor. Coming to church is fine. I encourage it. But coming to church is not all that God requires of his people. It's not all. The corporate congregation is never a safe place for God's people to occupy. The Christian life was never meant for the church to be casual and to be complacent. There is a spiritual warfare within and without in the Christian life. So this heading, this first heading, is quite appropriate. Where Israel settled, it was Shiloh, the official place of worship, the place where they sacrificed. It was the place where Joshua brought a challenge to his people, the place where he sent out the heads of seven tribes to survey the rest of the land. Take note of those points that I shared with you and analyze them carefully for yourself. I can't do everything, but I give them to you to analyze for yourself. Notice with me, secondly, the corporate accountability of God's people, verses 4 through 8. The corporate responsibility of God's people. Verse 4 Give out among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land and describe it according to the inheritance of them, and they shall come again to me. Three men from seven tribes were corporally accountable to Joshua in the surveying of the land. The word described is the word survey. Three times in the narrative, it says that after surveying the land, they were, they were to return to Joshua, who would cast lots to determine their inheritance. Now, God's people were very organized in those days, and we can learn from that. In, in verse 6, we read again, You shall therefore describe the land into seven parts, and bring the description hither to me, that I may cast lots for you there before the Lord our God. Joshua said this three times. Again in verse 8. The men arose and went away. And Joshua charged them that went to describe the land, saying, Go and walk through the land and describe it, survey it. 
and come again to me that I may hear cast lots for you before the Lord in Shiloh. Verse 10 really is a summary of this. It says, and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land unto the children of Israel according to their divisions. Now these 21 men were not operating independently. They were corporately accountable. They were commissioned by Joshua and they were accountable to return to Joshua at Shiloh after surveying the promised land. Joshua would cast lots to determine who will claim their inheritance. There was to be no infighting. God had the final say. This is what the casting of the lot meant. God determined the end of the, and the means. But a Christian is accountable to the captain of their salvation. I've heard people say many times that they are accountable to the Lord Jesus. I'm accountable to the Lord Jesus. I've heard this many times. But if we are accountable to the Lord Jesus, we should rank ourselves under a God-ordained institution on earth. The body of Christ. You and I cannot see Jesus that we say we are accountable to. We can't see him. But you can see the place and the people he has appointed. It was Shiloh where these people were to return. There is a lot of theology in that. As I explained Shiloh to you. It, it was a sacred place. We can't see Jesus. Verse 6 says, You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. So we have looked at these two parts, brethren, in observing the context. We saw where Israel settled. Sacred place, Shiloh. Central place of worship and instruction. So this corporate accountability. Three men, 21 altogether, from each of seven tribes were sent to survey or to describe this unconquered land and return to Joshua who would cast lots which will actually determine who gets what and where. But now we come to see how the mission was accomplished in verses 9 and 10 in the observation of this material. Verse 9 says, And the men went and passed through the land and surveyed by cities into seven parts in a book. You know, they had a book. Came again to Joshua, to the horse at Shiloh, the army based at Shiloh. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land 
unto the children of Israel according to their divisions. Very well done. These ambassadors of Joshua, they did as they were instructed. In other words, they obeyed. And that's why the mission was accomplished. They went and they returned to Shiloh with their notepads. Joshua called cast lots to determine the will of God. And today, whenever you look in the back of your Bible, every Bible you buy and you look in the back, you will see a map showing you these lots. And if you don't think that God is real, just look at that map and see that map carefully. Where those tribes were positioned. Now where Shiloh was positioned. Look at the geography. The next two chapters will describe the distribution of the land, which we may get to. But I say this to say, when instructions are given, God's people should follow them. This is the lesson we see here. Obedience is always the key. But what I have shared with you is historical. What we have shared from Joshua 18 is written for our learning. And today we have someone greater than Joshua. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the captain of our salvation. In fact, he was Joshua's captain. All the way back in chapter 2, he appeared to Joshua. He's the one that directed Joshua. He's the one that directs us. Well, what I've shared with you is strictly historical. The Lord has given his people a gracious salvation. We don't have to work for salvation. But the reality and experience of salvation doesn't simply drop into a person's lap. There are daily sins to conquer. There are battles to be won in the Christian life. We have a land to conquer. We have a present body that sin to conquer. The flesh, the exhortation in verse 3 is for me and for you today. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers have given you? Children of Israel can be understood in two ways. Back then, Jacob's descendants, but now the Lord's people. Every Christian is given charge. You have that charge. I have that charge. Mortify your members which are on the earth. If you are risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. Conversion never leaves a person idle. We possess our spiritual inheritance as we grow in grace 
and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And spiritual slowfulness can become very contagious. Seven out of twelve. And our Joshua is asking the same question that was asked many, many years ago. Now you may ask, how does spiritual slowfulness manifest itself in the ministry and the life of the church today? Well, this is what I plan to show you. Spiritual slowfulness manifests itself in being slack in personal sanctification and separation. We're slack. There's a variety of meanings, one of which is to be slothful, to be idle, to be lethargic. We're told in Proverbs 12, verse 11, he that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread. But he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. Oh, God is not instructing us here in Proverbs with agriculture, agriculture or farming. No. We till our land when we search our hearts, lest we be deceived. Our land is our bodies. The Bible says, He that tills his land shall be satisfied with bread. Well, what, what bread is he speaking about? But he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. Spiritual slackness is seen in personal sanctification and separation. We tell our own land when we examine ourselves. See if we are in the faith. Proverbs 27, 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Now this is an exhortation to ministers of the gospel. Be diligent to know the state of thy flocks. And to look well to thy herds, the people you minister to. Be diligent to know them. Slothfulness is seen in one's lack of separation and sanctification personally. Slow. Sunday school teacher, a pastor or anyone with responsibility who doesn't know the spiritual state of those they are laboring to, they are in the wrong trade. Are you calling that student while you don't see them? Are you speaking to that parent? Or are you slothful in this business? Yes, we should pay attention to what the word of God says. Spiritual slothfulness manifests itself in the ministry and life of the church in one's personal sanctification, which everyone is called to, and separation. I put both of them together. As a matter of fact, they mean the same thing. Three times we saw what Israel would not do. 
Twice we are told they could not. Then we are told they would not. We should consider these words in the spiritual dimension. Joshua 15, verse 63. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. It took David to rid Israel from the Jebusites, which became Jerusalem, the city of God. You see, when you, when you drive out the Jebusites, you can worship God. Very interesting. As I said, Shiloh was the place of worship and instruction, but it became the place of comfort. There's a parable the Lord spoke that I always look at, that I always remind myself of, of the unclean spirit. He says, when an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he said, if I will return to my house from whence I came out, and when he's come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. What these words are saying is, it is not sufficient to subdue the land. It is not sufficient to take comfort in a so-called decision one has made. We don't take comfort in cleaning up our lives. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss. There must be a present conscious effort in progressing in biblical sanctification and separation. There must be a conscious effort in these graces. Being a Christian and calling ourselves Christian is not enough. Joshua is asking us this question today. To be sanctified and to be separated is to be separated from the world unto God. Now, no one is exempt from the word of God that tells us that we are to grow in grace and in knowledge. So, brethren, this is the first application that I would bring from this general information. We cannot do these things on our own. It is the indwelling Holy Spirit that helps us as we yield to him and not to the flesh. We cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. Another way spiritual slothfulness manifests itself in the life and ministry of the church is in practical efforts of evangelism. Practical efforts of evangelism. Sunday school children don't know their verses. Apparently, we are not insisting that they know their verses either. We know everything else. 
I brought attention this morning to the social media platform, Facebook. Everybody is on that. But we can't memorize our verses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I say. Some of us really look, need to look at ourselves carefully. We know everything. We're involved in everything. Practical evangelism is simple. Instead of posting ourselves, post the scriptures. Give a testimony. I don't see that. Spiritual slowfulness manifests itself in practical efforts of evangelism. Practical. What I mean by practical is everyday things. Practical. One shouldn't have to be exhorted, to be badgered, to be pressed, to support evangelistic efforts in the church. Yeah, given our money, given our $200, that's okay. But I'm speaking of practical efforts of evangelism. With your feet, with your hands, with your mouth. Practical. Failing to possess the land that our Father has given us. It is gospel language. We're failing to propagate the gospel in our homes, in our church, on the streets. It's on the side, I'm not here to give you some history about Joshua. It's not my field today. We read the history. Our church will only perpetuate by its people's practical efforts of evangelism. Bringing in somebody to speak to a group of men is only a part of practical evangelism. But it should be a follow through of what was said. Evangelism is very simple. Speak about the wonderful works of Christ, the gospel. Matthew 5, 19, go home. Mark, sorry, 5, 19. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion, had compassion on you. Yeah, it's true that we go home to our friends. We do this quite frequently. But are we telling them what great things the Lord has done for us? We don't speak of how many achievements we have acquired in the United States or how many grandchildren we have. We speak the gospel. Practical efforts of evangelism. Gossip the gospel. That's what it means. Gossip everything else. Charity begins at home. 
you and I do not have a literal land to survey. We have a personal life. We have a church. We have ministries to survey. Some are practical. Some are spiritual. Don't expect to do the spiritual if we can't do the practical. And some of us have the cart in front and the horse behind. The land of Canaan was subdued, but two-thirds of Israel were comfortable. It's much the same in our day. Shiloh, the place of worship, was there. It was where Israel sat. No wonder God removed the ark from there and drive them out to fight the Philistines. God is all wise. Brethren, when water remains stagnant for too long, it will either breed mosquitoes or bacteria. And I do not think that our lives should be marred by idleness as believers. One last way, spiritual slowfulness manifests itself in the life and ministry of the church today is in regular duties of Christian service. These outlines may seem to be long, but they are long because I am making a point. Spiritual slowfulness manifests itself in the life and ministry of the church today in regular duties of Christian service. Same challenge Joshua bring, brought to Israel is the same challenge he is bringing to me and to you today. How long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers have given you slow to perform needful duties in the church. You actually got to be frustrating yourself, beating yourself, begging people to serve God. And, and, and they get angry to boot. They get angry with you. You get very angry, you get very upset. And the Bible tells us that we are to provoke one another to love and to good works. And provoking is not something that is positive, it is negative. You push people to good works. I can't push no more, I'm getting old and weak. But this is an expression of slowfulness, duties of Christian service. We hear things like, it's too far for me to come. It's too inconvenient for me. Oh, I, I got too many kids or grandkids. I got a babysit. Let me tell you something. The Lord Jesus said these words. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will glorify. Now when the Lord said these words, 
he was on the way to Calvary, to a cross. And he was saying, if you want to serve God, there's a cross for you to undertake. There's a crucifying of yourself. There's a putting behind of those things. The Lord Jesus said, if any man do this, him will my father honor. Serving God is not cheap. It costs you something. It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you even friendships. It costs you something. It's a place where God's people must find themselves. Serving God is not reserved to men in the diaconate or the eldership, but for all Christians. These words in Joshua ought to be taken very seriously. Joshua said them to his people. Joshua was a man of courage. God tell him, be courageous. And here we see his courage is coming out to Israel. How long are you so slack in possessing the land that your father have given, that God have given? How long? Apparently it worked because immediately you find that the seven tribes took off and did what they were supposed to do. Brethren, we are told in the scripture that we have read, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So an exhortation the apostle gave to the Hebrew to the Hebrew Christians back then. Now everyone doesn't have the same calling and responsibility of duty in service, but everyone has a duty to serve. The Apostle Paul said, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Christians are saved by grace, true faith, yeah. But the faith of Jesus is not a slothful faith. It is an active faith. It is a progressive faith. It is a practical faith. It is a personal faith in the Lord's people. So take this exhortation in Joshua 18, verse 3, the heart. Joshua's words are words to us today. Israel settled at Shiloh. Hour and a half, people show their face. and see them no more. Till the next showing for next hour and a half. No. It took a sterling challenge from Joshua to bring the people of God to their senses. And today, 
you and I have one greater than Joshua who deserves our service, who deserves our worship, who deserves everything that we give to him. So may the Lord God of heaven motivate us to serve him. Let's pray. Amen. Dear God and Heavenly Father, how we do value the scriptures. And if we were to leave the scriptures as just a historical manuscript, we will get nowhere. We will challenge no one. Lord, we ask that you will take these words of history and make them very real where the church has become slowful in personal sanctification and separation, in efforts of evangelism and of basic Christian service. We pray, Lord, you will help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and place them on the Lord Jesus Christ and that we will be followers of those who inherited the promise. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.